This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. A little later in the show, we are going to hear from the CEO of the Knight Foundation about that foundation's new arts investment here in Detroit. $20 million more million headed our way to prop up our wonderful arts scene and make sure that arts projects find the path to sustainability, which is a real key problem that a lot of them have. So you want to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at about 40 minutes past the hour. But first, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution is the great equalizer in our country. It's the reason that government can't treat one class of citizens differently from others. But President Donald Trump thinks one part of that amendment, the part that guarantees that anyone who's born here has citizenship, needs to go. And the president is convinced, or at least he says he's convinced, that he can make that change on his own through an executive order. He doesn't need Congress. He doesn't need ratification by the states. Now, we want to be really careful here not to indulge political manipulation. The president's 14th Amendment announcement comes not coincidentally just a week before midterm elections. And the birthright issue is red meat for the Republican base. It ties directly into their concerns about immigration. But what Trump is talking about is flirting with constitutional upheaval and even authoritarianism. Could it happen? And if it did happen, who would stop the president if he doesn't? We want to start the conversation there today to talk about the history of the 14th Amendment in the context of all of these questions. My first guest writes that its creation was a second founding for America after the Civil War. Garrett Epps is a contributing editor for The Atlantic, and he teaches constitutional law at the University of Baltimore. He wrote an article in The Atlantic this week titled, The Citizenship Clause Means What It Says. Garrett Epps, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be here. So let's start with uh, a little history. Talk about the creation of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War and what its intent was. Well, as you know, the the 13th Amendment had already abolished slavery. So uh, the 14th Amendment uh, was aimed at a perception that many people in the North had that the southern states for years before the Civil War had not been uh, democratic societies at all. No freedom of speech uh, or freedom of assembly, no no real right to vote, uh, and uh, a sort of racial content. To citizenship, which had been exported into the Dred Scott decision in 1857, when the Supreme Court, which was dominated by slaveholders, uh, held that black Americans weren't citizens and never could become citizens uh, because America was a white man's country. Uh, they were determined to do away with that idea, the idea that American citizen was American citizenship was racial. Uh, and they came up with the wording that said all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. What that meant was, you know, if you're born here in the U.S. with two very small exceptions, you are a citizen at the moment of birth, and states have no power to interfere with either your national citizenship or your membership in their own society. Uh, national citizenship is paramount and universal. And 
I, I have thought a lot about the the Civil War amendments and the way they changed the Constitution. Thirteen and fifteen are very specific in in what they address. Right, one one uh, wipes away bondage. The other says that you can't uh, discriminate against people on the basis of race uh, and other things t- in terms of the way that they vote. The fourteenth is a little different in the sense that it, it it casts a broader gaze, not just on the republic but on the the rest of the constitution. In the sense that it that it says that equality is an imperative, not just for the federal government, but also for state governments, that that you cannot decide uh, sua sponte or any other way that you're not going to respect the rights of a certain class of people. And in that way, I feel like the 14th, you've talked about the the, the second founding. Uh, I I feel like... that's the way in which it alters our country in the sense that it it really does uh, establish for the first time in American history this this notion that everyone is the same. Well, it's important to note that uh, the word equality or equal uh, doesn't appear in the U.S. Constitution with reference to human beings Mm -hmm. until the 14th Amendment. Uh, And in fact, the original Constitution very carefully recognized differences among people, including, of course, the the famous idea that uh, enslaved uh, African people were three-fifths of regular people. Um, Under the 14th Amendment, suddenly we have this very complicated concept of democracy. And I think the way to understand the 14th Amendment is to understand that its goal was to create uh, what one of the people involved in its writing called a union of truly democratic states. So it starts with the idea of universal citizenship for people born in the United States. It then goes on to say that states have no power to interfere with that. States have no power to exclude people they disfavor. And States, and this is the first time in in the history of the Constitution this was true, states have no power to abridge the rights of Americans guaranteed in the Bill of Rights. Finally, at the end of Section 1, the 14th Amendment says that all persons, not all citizens, but all persons in the United States have rights to due process and equal protection of the laws. So you can see it's it's a pretty expansive uh, provision designed to, to create this concept of inclusive citizenship and then throw the mantle of the law over everyone present in the country, uh, whether, you know, uh, documented, undocumented, uh, whatever their reason for being there, they have these rights. And, and let's talk about what would happen if you take the first part of that and wipe it away if you didn't extend citizenship to anyone born in this country. Does that fundamentally alter the rest of the amendment? Um, Yeah, you know, I I try to tell my students that that the amendment is a little bit like a a really complicated Jenga tower, uh, and the citizenship clause is at the base. So if someone grabbed the citizenship clause and pulled it out, uh, the whole Jenga tower really probably comes tumbling down. The reason why is 
that the central aim of the citizenship clause was to do away with Dred Scott. What was the key idea of Dred Scott? It was the idea that there was a class of people born in the United States who weren't citizens, whose children could not be citizens, and whose children's children would not be citizens, so that they would always be a permanent subclass with no rights or fewer rights than white people had, who could be exploited freely. If, by some means, the United States were to stop recognizing the birthright citizenship of children born here, whose parents were undocumented, we would have reinvented that. We would now have a permanent subclass of people, people born in this country, people with no citizenship in other countries, people indistinguishable from their fellow citizens who had lesser rights and were available on a hereditary basis for exploitation uh, and persecution. We'd be reinventing slavery under a different name. And at the same time, the 14th Amendment has been somewhat controversial in the sense that it has been the subject of attack from people who never really loved that idea of equality from the beginning. Uh, If you think of the ways in which we've had to debate incorporation of the Bill of Rights into the 14th Amendment, there are a lot of conservatives, including Justice Clarence Thomas, who sits on the court now, who does not believe that uh, the, the original 10 amendments fully are affected by the 14th Amendment. Uh, and this question of citizenship has come up many times before. Is there something different about the way in which it's being raised now by Donald Trump than those previous attacks on the 14th Amendment? Well, you know, I think in historical terms, uh, there's a very direct continuity between 1866 when President Andrew Johnson declared war on the 14th Amendment, and 2018, 150 years later, uh, when President Donald Trump declares war on the 14th Amendment. Uh, There has been a long tradition in the South of basically taking the view that the 14th Amendment isn't valid and should be ignored. Uh, I grew up in the South uh, during the Civil Rights era. My local newspaper repeatedly said The 14th Amendment hadn't been validly adopted and wasn't binding on the states. You can see that strain of thought showing up uh, in Justice Thomas's uh, opinions. Um, And it carries over into a desire to read the 14th Amendment as narrowly as possible, Uh, really because the democratic ideas behind it uh, are fairly threatening to people who believe in uh, a certain racial characteristic of the state. Uh, So in a weird way, very little has changed. Uh, And Donald Trump's idea of executive power really matches that of Andrew Johnson. They're probably the two most aggressive advocates of executive power in American history. It's, it's history is repeating itself though. You know, this time there is a farce element to it. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Garrett Epps. He's a contributing editor for The Atlantic. He teaches constitutional law at the University of Baltimore. He wrote an article in The Atlantic this week titled, 
The citizenship clause means what it says. Uh, We are talking about the threat to the citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment that was announced this week by President Donald Trump. He says that through an executive order, he will eliminate that citizenship clause. He will make it so that some people born in this country, uh, namely people born to immigrants who are not here legally, would not automatically get citizenship. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think makes America great from a foundational level? What is it about our Constitution that sets us apart from other countries? Is it this idea of equality that emerges from the 14th Amendment? Do you have faith right now that our system of checks and balances is going to withstand these challenges to the Constitution? Why or why not? Are you afraid that this administration or anyone else might change the freedoms that you have under the Constitution without your ability to challenge that. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Tell us what you think of the Citizenship Clause of the 14th Amendment. Tell us what you think about that notion of equality that's enshrined in the 14th Amendment. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Um, I guess I I wonder under what rationale, if this goes to the Supreme Court, let's say that, you know, you can't do it under executive uh, power, um, under what rationale the court could basically invalidate or undo the 14th Amendment? In other words, if it was done by executive order, what would be the review of the of the Supreme right, Court over right. that? What would be the strategy to try to say it's invalid, and then under what circumstances could a conservative Supreme Court, whom are strict constructionists, say it's not valid? Hmm. Yeah, Charlie, it's a great question. Uh, Garrett Epps, uh, talk about what would happen if we saw an executive order from the president saying this portion of a constitutional amendment is now invalid, uh, I, I know there would be lots of lawsuits, but uh, talk about the Supreme Court review, the likely Supreme Court review of that kind of action. Well, you know, I, I tried to put myself, uh, when, when the, Trump began talking about this, I tried to put myself in the position of Chief Justice John Roberts. And it seems to me that the court, um, and, and I, would, I would be reasonably confident that this is what the court would do, the court has a, a way to basically deal with this without getting into the weeds uh, of constitutional history. And that is basically to say, Mr. President, citizenship in the United States is governed by statute. It is governed by Section 301 uh, and following of the Immigration and Nationality Act. And if you read 301 through 309, uh, the, the intention in that section of statutes is pretty clearly that anybody born in the U.S. Uh, is a citizen. Uh, and they go way out of their way to say, for example, anybody born in Hawaii after the, after the uh, acquisition of Hawaii is a citizen. Anyone born in Alaska after a certain time is a citizen. Anyone born uh, in the canal zone uh, of American parents is a citizen. And they don't qualify those grants of citizenship. So it would be very odd if uh, people born in the lower 48, you know, had some special restriction put on them, whereas people born in Hawaii or, or Alaska did not. It doesn't make sense as a matter of statutory 
reading. Hmm. Now, I think the, the court could simply say, and, and, you know, I can imagine a nine to zero or seven to two, simply saying, you know what? Under the Constitution, immigration and nationality is entrusted to Congress. Congress has acted with these statutes in the INA. It doesn't give the president the authority to do this. And so we don't have to deal with the underlying constitutional issue. And I think, <laughs> I think that's the most likely thing to happen. Uh, they, they certainly love, I think uh, the justices really love, when they don't have to reach uh, those controversial constitutional questions and can dismiss uh, questions on, on you know, uh, routine statutory bases like that. I, I think that's a really interesting uh, and perceptive uh, interpretation of, of what might what might happen there. Uh, as always, again, the number is 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. Let's go now to Sean in River Rouge. Sean, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Hi, Stephen. Hi. How are you? comment was this. I think it's a very slippery slope that we're going down because at this juncture, say he writes the executive order, what's the stop from cherry-picking who's a citizen and who isn't. Because if we're being realistic, all of our all of our ancestors came over here from somewhere else. Hmm. So what actually makes you a citizen? If, if that's the world we want to go down. Yeah. Uh, Sean, that's a really wonderful question. Garrett Epps, talk about how this might work if you were to eliminate that citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment. How would you decide, or who would decide, who got citizenship and who didn't? Uh, also well, talk about yeah. wh- also talk about whether if the president can say this clause of the Fourteenth Amendment is invalid, wh- what stops him from saying, well, the press clause of the First Amendment, for instance, is also invalid? Uh, what 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 stops him from going through the Constitution and saying, well, these things uh, I think are all uh, things I want to get rid of, and I don't need Congress or the states to do it. Well, uh, I think a couple of things, and I don't want to seem unduly somber, but I think your listeners need to understand that this project of cutting back on birthright citizenship, this project of taking citizenship under the control of the executive branch, is already underway. Um, We can see, you know, and there have been fairly detailed reports of this, that in parts of South Texas, people who have been American citizens their whole lives, who were born in the United States, are having their passports withdrawn by the State Department on the grounds that because of where they were born, they might have been born in Mexico. And if they can't prove they were geographically born in the United States, we're going to exclude them from citizenship. They can't have passports, and they can't have the benefits of citizenship. This is being done solely on the authority of the executive branch. I think it's very troubling. Uh, Second uh, are the reports that within the Justice Department, and within the Department of Homeland Security, a task force called Denaturalization Task Force is being formed uh, in order to study wider uh, attacks on naturalized citizens. Uh, you know, ordinarily, and, and by, uh, both by tradition and law, uh, once you're granted naturalized citizenship in the United States, it's very, very hard uh, to take away your citizenship on the grounds that there was something wrong with your application. You know, this, this does happen. This has happened to accuse Nazi war criminals on the grounds that they lied uh, when they applied for citizenship. But basically, uh, if you're naturalized in the United States up until now, 
you know, you, you're pretty much equal to everybody else. There's now a project to, to have a fairly large-scale uh, assault on naturalized citizens. So this is already going on on executive authority. Um, I think that uh, you, it's also important to understand that if, if the administration did decide that birthright citizenship was going to be restricted, they wouldn't say they're invalidating uh, Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. They'd say the courts have interpreted it wrong until now, and we as a separate branch have the right to interpret it uh, the way we think it should be interpreted. The language in the 14th Amendment that says subject to the jurisdiction means that undocumented aliens are not uh, covered by the citizenship clause, and that's our interpretation. That interpretation has been rejected by the courts, but the, uh, they would simply say, we're going to do it, and the courts, you know, maybe they'll stop us and maybe they won't. Uh, that's the logic of executive action, and we're seeing Trump apply this logic in a wide variety of policy areas, not just in the immigration area. Mm. So this project is very much underway, and the question of how vigilant the courts are going to be in policing the executive branch is very much open. And the reason for that is that, uh, you know, President Trump has already, uh, in essence, remade the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and he is transforming the lower courts, particularly the courts of appeals, uh, with, you know, so far, you know, more than 80 uh, nominations of yes. highly conservative uh, and in many ways deferential uh, judges of the courts of appeals. Uh, to the extent that Americans have relied on the concept of independent judicial review of executive action, that concept is under siege just like birthright citizenship. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Garrett Epps about the 14th Amendment and equality here in the United States. Stay with us and stay with us on the phone. Sandy in Pleasant Ridge, Tom in Sterling Heights, Phyllis and Warren. We'll get to you next. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Garrett Epps. He's a contributing editor for The Atlantic. He teaches constitutional law at the University of Baltimore, and he wrote an article in The Atlantic this week titled, The Citizenship Clause Means What It Says. Uh, that is on the subject of President Trump's announcement that he wants to get rid of the automatic citizenship right that uh, ex extended to anyone who was born here is part of the 14th Amendment. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. Tell us what you think about this idea. Tell us what you think about the rights that we enjoy in this country and whether they can be uh, subject to executive uh, whim the way the president says uh, they can. Uh, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Sandy in Pleasant Ridge. Sandy, welcome to Hi. Detroit Today. Hey. Um, I have read about the problem on the West Coast of uh, some Chinese, I believe, entrepreneurs that have several big hotel-like structures where they bring people over here from China. 
when they are eight and a half months pregnant, they deliver here, and so their child is automatically an American citizen. They can go back to China, and then when they are of age to get an education, they come back to California and get the free college, et cetera, and all the wonderful things that California does provide for uh, local Californians or whoever they are. Also on the uh, San Diego the hospital there, I know talking to a nurse there who just said many women come across the border quickly when they are just starting labor so that their child will be an American citizen again. And then later on, it progresses towards the fact that we are separating families because children... Right. Because children are citizens and their parents are not. Sandy, I I appreciate the call and and the comments. Garrett Epps, what about this idea of people essentially gaming the system, as Sandy says, saying, well, I'm going to come to the United States and have a baby specifically to get the advantages of citizenship? The the president, I think, would say that's what he's trying to stop from happening. Uh, What's the answer to that? Well, you know, there's a lot of folklore about this, and to start with, I'd like to uh, ask the lady who's calling, please, to send me the details about free college in California. Yeah, because that doesn't exist, right? That uh, I sure never have encountered it, and in fact, when I was at the University of Oregon, we got a lot of Californians coming up to our university because it was cheaper than in-state tuition in California. So uh, let's be really careful before we, we begin to you know, exaggerate all the supposed benefits uh, of being born in the U.S., um, the caller is referring to a phenomenon called birth tourism. Uh, that's a genuine phenomenon. I don't know how many uh, people it uh, really affects. Uh, uh, I do know that according to the Pew Center for a study of uh, Hispanic uh, matters, the total number of children born uh, in, the, in the U.S. to undocumented mothers uh, is about 290,000. Now, that's not birth tourism, right? That's not Chinese tourists. That's all undocumented uh, women in the U.S. And studies show that the average time between uh, the entry of an undocumented woman into the U.S. and the birth of her first child, if she has children, is around two years, so that we do not have uh, a very large phenomenon of already pregnant women entering the U.S. You know, with the desire that their children will be U.S. citizens. I think that men and women come to the U.S. by and large uh, for the same reasons immigrants have always come to the U.S. For a better life. The United States is the land of opportunity that offers a better life. They want to start families and bring them up. Uh, I I don't think that's a really considered historically a culpable motive. Now, if there are people coming you know, who are eight and a half months pregnant and they're coming solely to have their, their babies here, we may want to take a look at our visa policies, but the, the idea that we're going to redo the entire meaning of what it is to be American, because someone has heard that some people in Southern California are coming over from China, that is really uh, a, a huge effect from a relatively minor cause. Right. I, I think that's the, the, the main pushback there is... The idea that even if even if these stories about birth tourism were true and the extent of them were true, the answer probably is not to rewrite uh, a fundamental provision of the Constitution to deal with it. It's sort of a, the bomb on the anthill 
kind of analogy comes comes to mind. And and I think it, it's very dangerous uh, for the president to be suggesting that. But it's even more dangerous, I think, for citizens to fall into the mode of thinking that the Constitution itself needs changing to deal with contemporary political problems that we that we might have. Uh, okay, Garrett Epps, uh, we are out of time, but I really appreciate you joining us to talk about this important subject on Detroit today. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Great fun, and thanks to all the callers. Mm-hmm. Uh, up next, we are going to talk about a new arts investment in Detroit being made by the Knight Foundation. Uh, stay with us on Detroit Today.